Hello all, and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with the conversations about films that shape our lives. Today, we are going to be reviewing the new film directed by Regina King, One Night in Miami. And we had to have a special guest back with us. She has been on previous episodes with us, like Ma Rainey's Black Bottom was the most recent one. Carisha is back, and we're so excited to talk about this film with you. Carisha, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, guys. Thanks again for having me. I'm excited to be here and um, just really looking forward to diving in and talking about this film. We are so excited. All right. So, Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary for One Night in Miami? Sure. One Night in Miami is a fictional account of one incredible night where icons Muhammad Ali, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s. Okay. And in strategic whimsy experiment tradition, We always start off the episode with a one-sentence summary that we each wrote for the film. And so does anyone want to kick us off with their one-sentence summary for One Night in Miami? Kershaw, do you want to start us off? Sure. (laughs) So I said four unique navigations through a society in which they were displaced. Mm. I love that. Yes. Sarah, what was your summary? All right. Mine is a symphony of voices timed to perfection. Oh, so good. (laughs) Well done. Yes. All right. Mine was a humanizing look at four leading figures of the civil rights movement as they beautifully contemplate and debate the meaning of their influence, power, and purpose. Yes, girl. All right. So, what were y'all's initial thoughts of one night, one night in Miami? So I, w- I think I was most intrigued by the like the four people that they picked. Um, this like just unique friendship and relationship between these major sports figures, this huge political voice, um, and then like one of music's finest, and it was. I guess for me, just knowing that how all four of them uniquely navigated the civil rights movement, Um, you know, like Sam Cooke really having to um, kind of, I I don't want to disrespectfully say puppet, but he even, you know, said it in parts, like he had to kind of play the part. Muhammad Ali early on realized, and he mentioned that too, like having to kind of you know, play the part to appease this audience, whereas Malcolm X was, you know, like the rebel, the I'm not conforming to to anything. And then Jim Brown, of course, we know the controversy with the NFL even today. Um, you know, Jim Brown had to, you know, really like walk on eggshells. So I just I loved these four different, very different characters, but just them coming together with this friendship. I don't know. It was just really powerful to me. And the fact that their their personalities were all so 
different and the way that each one would express themselves was so different than all the others and you know those those explosive moments when they would you know kind of challenge each other but then it would kind of like die down to this like moment of mutual respect it was just so fascinating to see these four very very different personalities with very different views on the world all kind of jammed into this like pressure cooker of a night and just see kind of the the beauty but also the the excitement the the heartbreak that that comes with it it's it's a fascinating character study on these four men and their different responses to to life and one of the things I loved about this film uh, is one of the reasons that we all loved Ma Rainey's Black Bottom as well, which is that it's it's a character-driven and really, in this case, a, a people, a human, public figures-driven uh, piece of work. It's not much really, quote-unquote, happens in this movie. It's not a plot-driven film. And we just get to spend time with these characters almost as, as they – uh, converse, debate, uh, share their perspectives with each other. They're able to spar with each other and then um, challenge each other in new ways and uh, kind of rub off, I, I think of the phrase iron sharpens iron, of the way that they can push each other into these um, new dimensions or ways of thinking about their own roles in this movement. And they're better for it. They're diverse uh, views and perspectives are able to complement each other and also um, meld with each other and, and rub off on each other in really interesting ways. So Sarah, I it was interesting that you used the phrase a symphony of voices, I think, in your summary, because it's so it's so true. Um, you know, you have the violin that contrasts so much with the French horn, and yet when they come together, there's so much uh, that happens in that interaction together. And that's really what I kept thinking about while I was watching this is like when when you're when you're when you're hearing a symphony play you know there's there's always this handoff between the different sections and you'll have like the brass stand out for a little bit and then the woodwinds will respond and then you know the strings will respond to that and so there's just this constant handoff of of the melody and these different points being passed between these very distinct voices and while I was watching that's just what I kept I don't know. That's what I felt like I was watching was just this symphony as, as each of these distinct voices would, they would get really, really loud. And then they would go to, you know, uh, pianissimo for a little while and let somebody else sing for, for a moment. And I think that the timing of it all is so, so powerful. And um, I think that really, really goes to Kemp Powers, who was the one who wrote the original stage play, and then he also adapted it as the screenplay for this. And I think it's just a testament to his writing and his understanding of the audience and what we need at the right time. He knew the right amount of you know, explosion to, to give in the dialogue. And then he knew those moments when we needed silence and just sit with kind of the fallout of, of that. So I think this is, this is a phenomenally written script and is one that I, I will want to revisit, but I think it's also one that I'm going to want to find and like read through and really study it because it's absolutely beautiful. That's so true. And in a, 
they're they're debating these big topics and I think they're the rightly timed moments of levity where it diffuses the tension, whether it's a uh, funny comment from Muhammad Ali or something like that. There's always a moment where it can breathe a little bit and then rebuild that tension again in their conversation. So like I'm thinking of that car scene between Muhammad Ali and uh, Sam Cooke and they they have that conversation and the quote that Ali says, which is power just means the world where we're safe to be ourselves, to look like we want, to think like we want, which that and alone, I, I had to write down in the moment because it was such, so well said and um, just a really powerful quote. But he, and then he, then he asked Sam Cook, like, what do you want? And Sam says, like, I just want to party. And there were so many little moments like that where it was able to diffuse um, the the tension and the weightiness of the moment and then rebuild it up again um, in the next scene. And I think for a film like this that, you know, exists within the confines of really a, a motel room, um, giving us that breathe and that tension back and forth was really necessary to keep us so engaged for two hours. And especially like how weighty and important these topics are like this isn't what what these men were discussing is is weighty it's difficult it's important and so I think that you know even today like we're still having these same conversations and I think that there needs to be those moments to breathe there needs to be those moments to process but then there also needs to be those moments where we can just laugh for a second or you know enjoy something simple in the moment um so i think it's it's even a good model for us as we're still grappling with some of these difficult things that these four men were discussing back in the 60s i agree sarah and i i thought like that motel room was so symbolic for me because even like when they when Malcolm and, and Muhammad Ali go out to, you know, because the paparazzi has come, you see that shift. And just when they all come in the motel, it's like all of the facade, all of these standards that they, you know, they have to uphold and these, these uh, basically like alter egos they have to have when they're around everybody else. They can like let their guard down and, just you know be vulnerable talk about their struggles talk about like what's paining them what they're frustrated with but then you see the shifts like when it's time for them to go out there to see the paparazzi like muhammad's like okay we got to gather ourselves you have to come out here with me you know what i mean like it was it was beautiful just their opportunity to be vulnerable as as men in a society where they were displaced at that time That's so true and speaks to the the power of and necessity for relationships and support systems and unity. Um, one of the things that I found really impactful about this film is seeing these men differ in their perspectives, uh, but still um, aligned to the same purpose. And there's this this quote from um, an article where Regina King is kind of talking about her her thoughts on this film and and her 
uh, perspectives. And I, I, it perfectly captures something that I think is so important in, in our very divided country today, which is the ability to um, have discourse, share perspectives, recognize that there are differences in them, but still have the foundation of that respect and that relationship and that brotherhood still fully intact. So there's this quote from her. She says, the thing that's so beautiful in one night in Miami for me is both Sam and Malcolm realize, yeah, I shouldn't have said that. They don't necessarily say I'm sorry, but they do say in so many ways, I see you, man, and I hear you and I feel you. And that's a beautiful thing these actors capture. I just hope that comes across and is received that you can debate with love and respect. And I don't know, maybe it speaks to like the, the, the climate of our country right now, but seeing that happen on screen with these four men who see things differently, come from different backgrounds and industries and still able to maintain that foundation of love for each other and relationship with each other and, and, you know, respectfully discourse and challenge each other. It's, it's, uh, rare to see. And it was beautiful to see on screen in this way. Yeah. That was one of the things that just kept hitting me because today it's really, really hard to have a conversation with somebody who disagrees with you. And we, we kind of have we've twisted it in our minds that, you know, we're, we're constantly in a debate and I have to be right and win you over to my side. Um, and so I just love that this film was all about them pretty much arguing and disagreeing with each other, all four of them disagreeing with each other for almost two hours. And I, I think that Regina King was very successful in, in showing us that you can have discourse. You can talk with each other. You can disagree and walk away and still be in relationship with that other person, still respect that other person, which seems to be a, a lost art these days. So I think, you know, even though this was set in the 60s, um, I think it's still very, very much pointing to something that we're dealing with today. For sure, Sarah. I, I saw it very similar to that, but I also saw like another layer because I feel like all of their disagreement is out of a desire to help the other one. Um, Malcolm and Sam's disagreement is, it's Malcolm's like, he's lamenting not being able to help him. Um, you know, understand there was a part that I got a little choked up on when you know, Malcolm was explaining to him, like, you know, to you've got to stand up like we like this is collective, like you can't just do what's comfortable for you and what fills your pockets. You've got to, you know, you've got to stand up, you got to speak out, like even when nobody like, you know, like nobody's going to accept it or nobody is going to appreciate it. You still have to. And then I felt like when Jim, you know, was talking to Sam in parts it was all like all of them wanting to help the other one, wanting to protect the other one, this brotherhood. And that was so beautiful to me. And just seeing the, the struggle to convey it and it coming off as, you know, these like very like tense moments, but really they just wanted to help one another. And I just, that was beautiful to me. 
Yeah, absolutely. That, that idea of, of brotherhood of, you know, supporting one another is it's, it's invaluable, you know? And I think obviously whatever time we're, we're watching a movie is what we bring with us. And, you know, after a, a year of so much isolation and fragmentation and separation, like having that, that moment where these four guys, they're, they're rooting for each other is, you're right, Krisha. It's absolutely, absolutely beautiful. And I feel like we don't usually see that with, with men. We don't usually see that with black men uh, in films. So I feel like this separates itself especially because they were so diverse they were from different disciplines and they were famous for different reasons and they were still able to come together in that shared bond that shared love and it's really really special I think I I completely agree and you see so much of that uh portrayed in that scene towards the end of the film where Malcolm, all four of them are, are sitting by the bedside table between the two beds. And he's recounting the moment uh, in, in the theater at a previous concert that he was at where Sam was able to move the entire room and the audience in such a powerful way. And I think he has something along the lines of like, I just, I believe so much in you, Sam. And that's you, you hear that that is the heart behind his willingness to, to kind of spar with, with Sam and challenge him and um, invite him to think about his role and his influence and his uh, power in the music industry in ways that supports this bigger cause that they're all aligned to and they're all fighting for. Um, and I love the way that you see that Sam is able to also take that in, chew on it, process it, and um, look at how he wants to continue to use his position of influence and power in the music industry and the type of songs that he writes. And uh, there's that, that beautiful scene at the end where he sings, a change is going to come. And and you see that he's, he's able to take something from those moments of discourse with Malcolm and channel it into a new way. And um, I think it so much of this movie speaks to one, the power of like relationships and connection and supporting each other, but then also in our willingness to call each other up into bigger and better things and to like draw out the potential in each other for these purposes that are near and dear to our hearts. Like there's, you see both of those components and how they look um, maybe different in how people are interacting with each other and sometimes they're tense and difficult and um, it can get a little escalated, but it's all for this good thing. And like you mentioned, Carisha, like it's all out of love and truly seeing so much potential and power in each other that they're calling each other to bigger things. So something else that was interesting is that I I guess there was that huge, um, I don't even want to call it conflict, but that discourse between Sam and Malcolm. Well, Sam would, you know, I guess at that point, what what were we in? Like 1963, because Sam would pass away in about 64. And then we see, you know, Malcolm was killed in 65. And so, 
you know, it, it was interesting that those two were the ones who who had the most, you know, tension that that desired to, you know, really, you know, help and 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 strengthen the other one because those two, you know, would be the first to, you know, have their lives taken from them. Um, you know, Malcolm from the the movement itself, and then you know, Sam Cooke's death was very questionable. Um, and the motivations behind it. And so I, like the history lover in me, like really appreciated that they, you know, that Regina King and and, and Kemp, like they, you know, there's this, it, it's, Malcolm knows his death is coming. And if you've read his autobiography, like he always knew that it was coming. And, you know, I loved how they also like interwove that into the story as well. Um, you know, he was being chased, his home was burned down, he knew this was coming. And he's still trying to give these young men hope, you know, for the future and ways to navigate through this. And then, you know, Sam's still trying to figure it out, trying to get his voice heard. He writes, change is going to come and sings it, and it's killed not long after. So I couldn't help but think about that and just thought it was really interesting. Um, that the tension was between those two and their lives would come to an end first. Yeah, I'm I'm not a history buff like you, Krisha. So I the only thing that I, I knew about these I, I know little bits and pieces about all four of them. And I knew that both Sam Cooke and Malcolm X died very young, but I didn't know where that was in relation to this conversation. So the whole time. I was just expecting something bad to happen. Like every time like somebody would like approach a window or like when they went out into the parking lot, when they when they went to the liquor store, like all of these different moments, I was like, oh my gosh, is somebody going to get killed on screen? Like, oh my gosh, I hope that's not where this goes. So like the whole time I was just stressed because I'm not a student of history, um, which made the whole thing even more tense for me. But uh, I think I'll enjoy it even more when I watch it a second time, knowing that they're all safe in this one particular little moment. Yeah, like I was so glad that they told more of Malcolm's story in the background and what was going on. And I just think that's in, like a, in a very important piece of history. Um, you know, he was literally fighting for his life around that time and just seeing those moments where he was just like overwhelmed but still in the strength you know the little strength that he had trying to encourage Muhammad Ali you know encouraging Jim Brown it just oh and then so I didn't know that Malcolm X was into photography and that was something that they decided to illustrate as well and I was just like oh my goodness so yeah, the history nerd in me was just like loving it. Feasting on it. <laughs> I love it. Yes. Yeah. What is interesting too is that it and this is this is a a shout out to the the actor as well who plays Malcolm X in this film, but you sense that that feeling of urgency and but also like the weight of it weighing on him even in the moments of levity when they are laughing you still see that sense of of uh, urgency and almost like his passion is just overflowing because he senses that 
one, this is so important, but two, that perhaps his own time is running out. And I think that that shines a light onto some of that, those moments of tension between him and Sam, um, where you see his intensity and, but also you can see where that stems from as well, or understand a little bit more where that comes from as well. For sure, Jen, for sure. And it even gives you like a, a different perspective, like even on his, his priorities. Cause when, when the guys first get to the motel, they're all, you know, they want to party cause Malk or cause uh, Muhammad Ali just, just won, you know, heavyweight champion of the world. And then they're all bummed that they're in this like straight laced guys motel room. And all he has for them fun wise is vanilla ice cream. Um, but as you progress in the film, you realize his priorities are so focused because he knows that his his time is is imminent. And so I think even the unfolding of his character uh, throughout the course of the film was brilliant. Yeah, the vanilla ice cream, that made me giggle because I, I just, of all the things like for them to look forward to after a big fight. I don't know. I get right? really that. <laughs> it was such a in a little detail that is is so humorous, and then they would like pick it up a few times throughout. Just I don't know, a quick little giggle for us. There are also just so many endearing moments with Muhammad Ali's character that just brought a smile to my face, and uh, I think added those moments of joy uh, here and there and, and splattered throughout. So um, he really, you know, brought that um, kind of like youthful uh, joy to this film that really balanced out all of the other characters as well. And it goes back to the symphony comments there that you made, like the balance and the way that each of the characters bring their own, a sense of self and their own uniqueness to the table. And it just comes together in this really interesting way. It's just the symphony. I can't, I can't let go of it. It's a perfect way to describe it. That is a powerful analogy, Sarah. I'm I'm still chewing on that girl. And I'm like, I, whew, that's good. Thanks guys. I was, I was really proud of that one when it, uh, when it came to me, but it, it it made me think of while while watching um, a conversation that Jen you and I often have um, is that you know in in film a lot of times for a specific group of people we only have like a certain subset you always say Jen like we only have a certain number of data points about like this specific group and I feel like this film um, shows just how varied people are you know like in in the vast uh catalog of movies a lot of times black men are are portrayed in this one light or you know as these few stereotypes and that is expanding but i i just loved that one night in miami shows all of those variations we see all of these different colors these different these different instruments you know it's it's absolutely beautiful how they come together they're so distinct but they they harmonize well together and just point to the the variation and the beauty 
um, within that culture. And I don't know, I feel like we don't get a lot of pieces like this. So I just, I, I just want to savor it. Yeah, that's so true. And one of the things that I think is a, a main topic of conversation for them as well is the the debate between Sam and Malcolm on the economic freedom that Sam has achieved from within the music industry, which Malcolm critiques as him kind of selling out and puppeting to the white man versus Malcolm's approach of being this very public, outspoken figure fighting for this this purpose and for the same cause. And the way that they are able to, to uh, debate and share their their differing perspectives on this um, was really, really fascinating to see explored for and given so much time on the big screen in this way. Um, you know, there are lots of, um, it reminded me a lot of like think pieces and essays and, and perspectives from Black writers that have written this in books. But to see this conversation play out and given so much time, I think it's almost like 20 minutes that they're able to like spar back and forth on this and um, share their differing viewpoints. I thought was, I loved that this was included in this film. And for folks that haven't read all of those other books and things like that, hopefully this is also a window into the different perspectives of how to achieve or work towards the same purpose, but the approaches are very different. Um, so I, I'm curious both of your thoughts on that kind of uh, conversation that happens between Sam and Malcolm on, you know, the economic freedom and, and power that Sam is able to achieve in dominating in the film industry and some of the, not the film industry, music industry, but some of the trade-offs that he may, may have made for that. And then Malcolm's approach on being very outspoken, being a public figure, um, speaking to large populations and, you know, giving talks and his way of fighting for this cause. What were your thoughts on the way that was portrayed in this film um, or that topic in general? Can I go there? Yes, please. So I, I think you've got four, four black men trying to, instead of a symphony, I saw it as a dance. But four black men trying to figure out how to dance in a white man's world in the middle of civil rights. Um, I think there, there it was almost a, a spectrum of sorts. And you had Malcolm, you know, at the radical end of that. But you had Sam who had he had learned to, to, to dance in sync with the white man to get to where he was. And once he got to that point, then you know it was now I'm going to break away. Jim Brown is very vocal about that with the NFL and him definitely having to dance, quote unquote, the way that they wanted him to say the things that they wanted him to to even get an opportunity to play. And then I love that Muhammad Ali, he's so vocal, one of my favorite sports figures of all time. He says, well, I had to dance and do what they wanted me to do when I first started. But, you know, now I've made a name for myself. So all of these men are trying to 
figure out how to, you know, like dance in this white man's world, but at the same time, not forget who they are at the same time, you know, um, represent the black community. And I can't imagine how difficult that must've been for them. Uh, while we, you know, like I say, we, while many African-Americans, we say, oh, I would have definitely been like Malcolm. The question is, would you? You know, would you have been that bold? Malcolm lost a lot, sacrificed a lot. Same thing with Dr. King, who we're coming up celebrating tomorrow. They lost a lot and sacrificed a lot. And, you know, I when Malcolm X, um, Sam Cooke calls him broke, um, you know, that was such a like a blow because, you know, Malcolm depended on the nation of Islam. They were taking care of him because he wasn't bringing in any income because he was so vocal. So I thought that was an interesting thing for Sam to attack when all the, you know, those three men, you know, had kind of played to the white man at that time and they had all this money and Malcolm didn't and he was poor. So that that's a whole nother conversation, but that's kind of how I saw it. Yeah, that that's exactly what it was. And I think, you know, for me, what I was so struck by is that um, you need all of it. You know, you need all four of those opinions in the conversation. And with something as large as civil rights, you know, there's not there's not one way to do it. You know, whenever you're tackling a huge issue like this, I, I don't think that there's ever one right way. And so I, I like that this film didn't posit, you know, Malcolm X or Sam Cooke as the quote unquote right way of doing things. Like you said, Krisha, they were all just figuring it out as they went along. And I think, I don't know, there's there's kind of some some comfort in that, in that like these four men who were so prominent and so influential, like they they weren't perfect. They didn't have it all figured out. They were just trying to do the best that they could with the information that they were given. And they took different routes to get there with different measures of success. And so I think I was just struck by the the fact that we need each other and we need those diverse perspectives we need those different ways of going about doing things whatever we're doing you know it's not we need both the black and white thinkers and the people who are like living in the gray like we need all of it in order to make any progress in anything so true girl yeah and something that regina king also has mentioned as well is that both Muhammad Ali and Jim Brown were necessary, at at least in the arc of this, within the contained of these two hours of the film, both of them helped Sam and Malcolm see the other side and kind of build, help build those bridges um, in those moments of tension that they had together. And so even those, those folks that are able to empathize and see both sides and, and, we have the black and white thinkers and we have the folks that are taking a different approach. And then there are others that are healers and are reconcilers. Um, those, those roles are also just as important. I, I loved just getting to see also these four men leveraging their individual 
gifts and the way that they were created and their talents um, to further this cause that they believed in so deeply and cared so deeply in. And the way that they also considered and contemplated deeply about the fact that they, they were in these positions of influence and what did that mean and how they carried themselves and what decisions they made, they, they thought about with such intentionality. Um, and you see so much of that on screen in this uh, space, Kirsch, as you mentioned, where they're able to take off those masks and figure out those hard questions or wrestle through some of those and then go out again and be, you know, these almost like figures and these gods to, to people. In it. And when we look back in history as well, but these, this moment of intimacy where we're able to see them take off this mass and vulnerability and figure out like, how do I, what do I do with these places of influence that I've been placed in is a really unique uh, perspective and speaks to Kemp Powers, like, his knowledge of them, but also his um, understanding of human nature and uh, how much he's researched this and also his imagination, like props to him for imagining and visualizing the nuances of these conversations. Um, because there is, Carisha, correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm also not a history buff, but I believe there's not that much that's known about specifically that night that they spend together. Um and a lot of what Kemp Powers has written is kind of like his filling in the gaps of the details that he knows of leading up to those moments and then the decisions that each of those men made after that night. But very little is known about like that night specifically. Is that accurate? Yeah, I think so. Because, I mean, I heard he like they basically created this, you know, it's this fictional account that they create based on, you know, things that were, you know, going on in the lives of all four of those men around that time. So I thought that was cool. Like to me, I, you know, I just want, I'm like this, this could be, you know, kind of what they were discussing. Like there wouldn't have been any wild parties going on with Malcolm X. So I can assume that, you know, they were probably, you know, in a hotel room or meeting somewhere and just Kent Powers did a fantastic job just, you know, being creative with that and just, oh, it, I think I appreciated it. And I think you mentioned this at the beginning, Jen, with there not being a whole lot going on other than us really getting to know these men. Um, and that was really, really powerful. Um, yeah, I, I will say, because I think the cool thing is Jim Brown is still alive, which is really interesting to me. Um, and I don't know, I want to hear his take on it. I haven't heard like any interviews or anything with him, but he's still around. Yes. Tell us how, how did it go down? I almost don't, I also almost don't want to know either, but, um, you're right. Sarah, you mentioned like being on edge, expecting for there maybe something to happen by the end of the film. And I was so pleased that nothing happened at the end. Cause I too was wondering if this would be you know, like a similar trajectory as Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, where it's, it's you know, spending time with these characters for most of the film and then this explosive ending. And I love that we don't get that. Like this truly is just us as the viewers getting to spend time with these four incredible men. And the film ends um, without that big explosion. And I, I appreciate that a lot. I'm glad they didn't go there. Thank God. <laughs> Yeah, right? Oh my gosh. I, I was just, 
I'm a football fan, so I knew that Jim Brown was okay. And, you know, so I was like, okay, I know at least, like, if something bad is going to happen, it's either going to be to Sam Cooke or Malcolm X. So, like, there were moments where I was like, okay, I can I can relax for a second. But, oh, man, I'm really glad that they went in the direction that they did. But I also love that, you know, stereotypes were subverted, too, because, like, most of the, um, the, the conversation in the heat happened between Malcolm X and Sam Cooke, not between the two athletes who are in professions and sports that can sometimes per- be perceived as violent. And those were the two that were so focused on like keeping the peace the whole time. So like even in those little details, I, I appreciated that we could learn about all, all four of them and how they were responding to these situations and how they were, you know, these, these complex, nuanced, varied human beings. Um, it was just, it was so fun to watch all four of them react in every scene because no two responded the same at any given moment in the film. And that's just, uh, it's a thing of beauty. And I agree, Sarah, all of their reactions to everything were so different. And that's, I think, one of the things I love the most. Um, I thought Jim Brown was the calmest of them all. And mm-hmm. like you said, with the, you know, the sports, the type of sport that he plays as a football player, I would have expected him to probably have been a little more aggressive at times. But he was the peacekeeper. And then surprisingly, Muhammad Ali was too. But um, another thing I wanted to ask you guys, did anybody else like, like, did your jaw drop on that opening scene where Bo Bridges makes the cameo and they're on the porch, he and Jim Brown, and he starts talking about like that furniture, he needs help putting, moving something or putting something together. And what he says to Jim Brown, just like, it took my breath away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I yelled at my screen. I was like, oh, no, bro, Bo Bridges, what is wrong with you? I got, I got, yeah. <laughs> I was, I was a little, yeah. <laughs> and even yeah. in the scenes with uh, Sam Cooke and just the audience, and I just, oh, I love, but one, one of the notes that I jotted down was, I love that we had those little vignettes from the opening scenes to ground us before these men come together, because, um, I think that was important to lay that foundation. Hopefully, like most of the viewers are, you know, aware and uh, knowledgeable about America's history. But, you know, for the ones that are not, like, here's some grounding scenes to lay the foundation before these men come together because I think it really helps put a lot of their conversations in context and it's fresh in our mind and we have the emotions of those moments top of mind for us as the viewers before we dive into, you know, their conversations together. So it's very smart for them to include those opening little vignettes with each of them. And I think absolutely, Jennifer, I love that. And I think to also remind people, which is what Bo Bridges was doing, that even though they were these big athletes and singers, um, they were still brought back down to size if that makes sense you know sadly like it was oh you're this great football player and the best of the best but you're still this you know and I don't know yeah I I agree that they served such an important it it was setting the scene you know um 
and I am not a history buff, so I know, and I'm sure not an American history buff. Um, so like, I know a little bit about each of these, like I know about Jim Brown because I love football, but I don't know a lot about the others. So like I, I needed those little vignettes, but honestly, I really, really struggled through the first 30 minutes or so until they got into the hotel room. I really struggled because it, it was, it felt weird to me. Like the pace felt off. Um, and, and I feel like you didn't have like this beautiful, like melding of the voices and you don't have that same magic in the first, you know, 20, 30 minutes, whatever, as you do when they're in the hotel room. And so like, in my mind, even though I needed that 30 minutes or so to lay the groundwork in my mind, that doesn't exist. And the whole movie is just after the fight in the hotel room, because that's when this movie really, really shines. I know that we needed the foundation, but it just, there's something about it. it. It felt clunky. It felt awkward. And then once they get into the hotel room, it's like this streamlined thing and everything's firing on all cylinders. Everything's working perfectly. And it really, really sings. But ah, like, I appreciate the beginning, but I was really, really worried about how this movie was going to go based on that first 30 minutes. And then the second, you know, hour and 30 minutes really, really paid off and really I don't know like blossomed from that and Sarah here I was wanting more <laughs> at the beginning oh, like okay. I, I was like oh give us more give us more like the history part for me I was mm-hmm. like, I wanted them to give us more um with Muhammad Ali just a little bit more mm, okay yeah yeah that would have been he was such a a dynamic figure like I mean gosh there there's so much that they could have could have done with him because he's just he's he's kind of an electrifying uh figure in this movie for sure yes which makes me wonder I don't know the answer to this question uh maybe one of you do but I wonder where the original play by Kemp Powers started from did it start from some of those context setting scenes or does his work start with them arriving after the fight in the room in the home in the motel room um like I don't know if some of those extra opening 30 minute scenes were added for the film adaptation so that's a question that I'm going to go investigate unless one of you knows the answer that's a good question Jen I do not have the answer but I'd be curious to find out Because I could see them thinking strategically, okay, if we adapt this to the to the big screen, we now have the ability to add all of these contextual scenes. Whereas from a play perspective, there's a lot of implications with the set design and, and changing scenes and things like that that would have made that potentially more challenging or just smaller in size compared to the 30 minutes that we get. So something to investigate. Yeah, I I don't know the answer. I haven't researched this, but that's the operate that's the assumption that I'm operating out of is that those scenes were added uh to give us viewers context because I also think like if you are going to go see the stage play of One Night in Miami, there's probably a a a good chance that you would know more of the history or more of the context because 
it takes a lot more work to go see a play than it is to like press a button and watch something on Amazon. So, you know, that's the assumption that I made. I don't know if I'm correct though. So I, I think that would be a fascinating thing to look into comparing the, the, the film to the stage play. Any other thoughts on One Night in Miami? Um, moments that stuck out to you or anything else that you wanted to mention about this film? I just, and we've talked about this some, but um, how, how strategically this film just uncovers the, the multifaceted nature of each of these men. So like, Jen, you you referenced the scene where where Malcolm is describing Sam Cooke's show in Boston. And that whole scene, like I had goosebumps the entire time. And then after the film was over, I rewatched that like two or three times because it's phenomenal. That scene is, oh my gosh, it's outstanding. And so, you know, the the way that everything works together to to build this up and, and we're on this emotional roller coaster and we're like, oh my gosh, Malcolm, he cares so much for these guys. He's so caring, like all of this stuff. Like he's not just like hard nosed about this, but he's so compassionate. He's so filled with love. And like it's the the sound is built up and you can hear the people stomping and clapping. And then it goes immediately to silent. And you're left in the hotel room with them for a second. And then we, we learn uh, fully what, what Malcolm and um, what he was planning to do and, and how he has to leave the, the Nation of Islam and he's hoping to bring Cassius Clay with him. And, and so then we see yet another side of Malcolm X, um, just one right after the other. And I think that that was just such a, a beautiful way that 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 we see that there's so much more to him than than meets the eye and you know there's there's the good side of him and then there's the bad side of him and and he's just so human like like all of us and i don't know just how effectively this screenplay was able to get us to empathize and and see these different viewpoints and and see different perspectives on these larger than life historical figures and also make them so human at the same time is man it's just it's so well written i i'm so impressed with uh with what kemp powers was able to do in this emotional roller coaster in a hotel room Yeah, it's so true. As you were talking, I was thinking about um, how we were talking about this wasn't a plot-driven film, and not much really happens, and yet this was such a roller coaster ride, um, in the best way. Like we are so, at least me. This film, first of all, flew by. Like the two hours went by, and I was like, I, I can we stay here? Like I want to spend more time with these characters and these men. Um, but the way that it's able to keep us so engaged and invested in them was so, so impressive. Yeah, completely agree. I thought the casting was spot on. (laughs) (laughs) I am a little biased toward um, Aldous Hodge is one of my favorites. And I mean, I do, you know, he is, I do have a little, you know, celebrity crush on him as well, but 
Um, I just think he is phenomenal um, at what he does. And just, oh my goodness, just, I don't think they could have picked a better person to play Jim Brown or Malcolm X. I mean, hands down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it, it was kind of fun to see, you know, the, these four main characters, like they're, they're famous, like we can recognize them, but they're not like, you know, it's not like Denzel and Will Smith in a movie, you know, and I, I just love that it was an opportunity for these incredibly talented actors to be showcased in this way. And we just got to see them show off for two hours. I was really proud. (laughs) Yeah, it takes some real acting ability to be able to land a film like this where it's purely just you in a room with three other dudes and y'all got to just bring it and turn it on. I was personally so captivated by Leslie Odom Jr. I was enthralled. I mean, he was just so visceral on screen. Loved every bit of it. That was the gentleman that played Sam Cooke. Sam Cooke. Yep. Okay. So good. And something else that I just, um, I appreciated about this film is that even though it's about these four men, um, they we do have the opportunity to meet Malcolm X's wife and then Sam Cooke's, I'm assuming it was his wife. I don't know, his woman. Um, And just the fact that they, even though they were small little parts, um, just showing that even these guys who were so big, so influential, they still had somebody who was, you know, supporting them or, you know, taking care of these other things so that they could go off and do whatever they were doing. So I, I think it could have been really easy for them to, neglect the the women in these guys lives but I really really love that the intentional choice was made to at least showcase them for for even a little while yeah give them their moments their small little moments so I wanted to mention something that I am intrigued to pay attention to in watching this a second time which is the editing so regina regina king um was talking about the editor and she's kind of giving some shout outs to the different production folks that were on her team and her editor's name was Tariq anwar and she has this passage which makes me just intrigued to re-watch this and pay attention to the the way that this is edited together She says, Tariq has a great understanding on how to capture the vulnerability and strength of each man. In dialogue scenes, there's always a question of when to cut to reaction shots, but Tariq understood the nuances, how long to stay on a person and when to cut away. And in watching this the first time, I mean, I was just captivated by everything unfolding and and their words and and everything that I, I really wasn't paying attention to the pacing of the editing or, or any of that. But I'm intrigued to rewatch this and see how uh, intentional they were in when to cut away and when to focus on the person speaking versus the reaction shots, because I think it's a, it's one of those like hidden things that when done so well, adds so much of the way that, that this film has impacted 
me and the power of the, the film itself. And when done poorly, it can make this film feel very long and dialogue heavy and kind of like a we're trudging along through this. And this film didn't feel that way at all. And so I'm, I'm intrigued to see just from a technical perspective how they were able to bring these characters to life even more and add to the performances and the conversations with the editing because I, I really didn't pay attention to it much the first time. Yeah, yeah, there are some really interesting choices that that were made some of them like some of them because they were a little bit unusual there were certain moments where I was like oh that was a weird time to cut to that person so it it almost made me off balance a few times but man it I think you'll really really enjoy it when you're specifically looking for it because some of the choices are very very creative and you know, they, there, there are certain parts where like Malcolm X would be speaking, but we're focused on like the other three guys instead of him. Or, you know, we get like, you know, there are certain scenes where, where we would see like kind of the back of Malcolm X's head, but we're focused on a different person. So like even the camera angles and and how they kind of um, work together, it's really, really fascinating. So I think you'll enjoy doing that. And even even how they staged it too, to where we would have like mm-hmm. you know that that scene when they were all in the beds together, so we could watch all four at the same time was so fascinating. And usually we had at least two in in a shot at any given time. Like, oh man, it was so strategic the way that they just puzzle pieced this whole thing together. Yeah, because it's a small space that they're they're filming in and. There's these four men that need to fill the small space and are pacing back and forth and moving around. That blocking uh, work must have been quite a challenge. And every movement was was purposeful too. Because like sometimes mm-hmm. like you're watching a thing and like somebody moves to another side of the room and it's like, oh, you just had to move because the script told you to move. Like there was no reason for you to move over there. Um, but like <laughs> everything in this just felt so on purpose. And, mm-hmm. you know, even even that moment when Jim Brown went into the the bathroom and he was just standing there because he needed an escape from everything that was happening in the room like you can learn Mm. so much about a character even from how they move and where they go and we see that in in Jim Brown and Muhammad Ali you know he went and raided the the uh the vanilla ice cream when things got tense so even their moves around uh around the hotel were, were purposeful in in addition to making it more visually interesting So good. So good. All of those little details that come together. Yes, so good. All right. So I would like to make a confession to you guys. Um, Carisha, you're going to judge me hardcore for this. And I'm I'm here for it because I deserve it. Next, I'm intrigued. I I am not a boxing fan. So... I did not realize that Cassius Clay was Muhammad Ali. And I was very confused for a minute there while watching. And I was like, oh my gosh, did I get this whole movie wrong? Is this about a whole different person? So I I was a bit of a wreck. I forgive you. I'm going to lend grace here. Thank you. (laughs) 
it's okay. I mean, I like, I, I think you know, here. I love boxing. And so mm-hmm. it's, you know, I can understand, like, you know, if you aren't a boxing fan, how you would know that. But he did like that whole name change after he joined the Nation of Islam. So I totally get it. You're forgiven. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. Any other last thoughts, mentions, or anything that you wanted to uh, call out in this film before we wrap up? I just think that uh, Regina King, please keep making movies. Uh, She is a phenomenal actress. And now we know that she is a great director. So I just, I hope that this is the, um, if if she wants to keep directing, I hope she does. Uh, I hope that we get to see more, more things like this in the future from her. Sarah, I could not agree more. I was... I expected nothing but like excellence and she delivered and I would be totally okay if she delivered some more goodness like this. <laughs> and I hope that this is in our conversation again when we talk about the Oscars. I know yes. that there were some mentions of yeah. her potentially being nominated <laughs> for Best Director, which would be incredible. But I was reading, and I believe she's the first African-American female director that debuted her film at TIFF or one of the recent film festivals. So that's awesome, and I hope that she continues to uh, uh, capture people's attention. I'm a huge fan, and – uh, it just to see her win an award like that at the Oscar, I would probably ugly cry. Like I've loved her since <laughs> I was a kid. She is she is something special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know they're doing all those uh, August Wilson plays. Yeah, saying she she did great with this uh, stage to film adaptation, which is challenging to do, especially from a director's perspective. Um, that's not easy. So, I need her and Denzel to keep coming up with these <laughs> yes. cinematic games. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Imagine that partnership. Yes, please. Bring so it good. on. <laughs> and we will be here to talk about them um, faithfully. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, this was our review and discussion of One Night in Miami. Uh, You can find it available to watch on Amazon Prime. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. And as always, we absolutely love having you, Krisha, on. And just the the perspectives that you bring are so wonderful and so such gems. So thank you for being on and taking the time to spend with us. It was a pleasure, ladies. Thank you guys for having me again. Of course. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our strategic whimsy experiment and we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your days. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about One Night in Miami and today's episode. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can always email us at Experiment at gmail.com. 
We will be back next week to revisit and discuss the film Parasite, which won the Best Picture and Best Director awards for the Oscars last year. We are excited to revisit this gem of the film. We hope you guys have an amazing week and we will see you soon.